I've been in the game for a minute now. I've been, the, been a pastor for half my life. And I'm telling you this morning, okay, the, the enemies that we accrue and the anger that we hold on to is the primary reason we're all so stressed and tired. Um, so open your hearts this morning, okay? Please don't hear the, the, the subject and go, shoo man, I know who needs to hear this. I know, no, okay, let's all, we all need to dig into our anger and the things, you know, our outbursts, our bitterness. And so from what I can tell, fear is the most common uh, emotional, uh, is com- most common emotion that the Bible deals with. And then uh, anger is the most dangerous emotion that the Bible deals with. So even in our text today, Jesus puts anger in the conversation with murder, okay? So, uh, and so I wanna help us diagnose and recognize our anger, And then we'll engage our anger. Like, why? Why am I holding on to that? Why am I angry about that? And then I want us to learn to repent and reconcile of our anger. All in 30 minutes. All right? Normally I go 28. Okay, so we'll see what we can do in 28 minutes. Anger, right? So anger harnesses this enormous energy. We feel that, right? Anger wants fast results. One of the ways to diagnose our anger, as a matter of fact, is to find, you find it hard to slow down and consider and listen. Okay, so let me encourage you to take a breath. (sighs) All right, uh, we're just talking here, okay? I'm for you, Jesus is for you, Jesus wants to help, he loves you, he wants the best for you, and also he loves your enemies, as hard as that might be to imagine. Generally, if you wanna hear the voice of God, you gotta slow down. (sighs) Okay, so a lot of times it isn't a problem with God's speech, but our speed. Okay, that, that's for free this morning, okay? I'll turn, talk about that more another time. But generally, if you wanna hear the voice of God, you gotta slow down, okay? So as we begin to diagnose our anger right now, allow me to expand our thinking just a little bit. Sometimes, you know, we'll say stuff like, Man, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. I'm not, I'm just annoyed, I'm just irritated, right? But frustration, irritation, and annoyance are anger. They just haven't fully blossomed yet. So being frustrated and annoyed, that, that's just unripened anger, it's coming. So read with me in Matthew 5, 21 to 24 and 43 to 46. Matthew 5 here. Verse 21 says, Jesus says, now you've heard it said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar this morning and there, remember, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go, go and bring that gift back another time, okay? First, be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. Look at verse 43 to 46. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Whoa, 45. So that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even tax collectors do that. So Jesus continues from the previous verses that we looked at last week. If you weren't here, you can go listen to it on the line somewhere, Spotify and Apple and all that, okay? So, so Jesus is focusing, is shifting our focus from external things to the heart. 
He is zeroing in on renovating your heart this morning and for the rest of your life. So remember, Jesus told the crowd, and the verses right before this, he told the crowd that your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees who ate righteousness for breakfast. Okay, that's, what, that's all they did. And we learned that the way that our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees is by Jesus changing our heart over time, little by little by little, from the inside out. So true change... And real righteousness is at the heart level. Okay, so in verses 21 to 24 that we just read, Jesus sort of stair steps his argument, right? So each example of anger and corresponding consequence intensifies. You see that? So anger with a brother or sister. And then insulting your brother or sister. And that Greek word for insulting there has this aspect of abuse to it, okay? And then calling your brother or sister a fool, which is really the word used there in the Greek again was to say that person's unsaved and they can go to Gehenna. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So Jesus' words would have sounded extreme to his audience and they kind of do to us too, but let's not try to soften his words here, okay? Let's not water it down. He meant to shock our sensibilities, Jesus often purposefully states things in in the extreme to make himself abundantly clear. It's kind of one of the rhetorical devices he used. So, So God is not just holding the line at you not murdering someone. Yeah, don't do that, okay? But the line isn't just there. You can never murder anyone your whole life and your heart and soul be rotten still, right? And so that's why Jesus takes it all the way back to anger because if, if we deal with the anger in our heart, the not murdering people sort of takes care of itself. Okay, the great Dallas Willard simply said, actions do not emerge from nothing. They faithfully reveal what is in the heart. Watch your heart, guard your heart, cultivate a loving heart. The stakes are high. In his sermon here, Jesus is describing the citizens of his kingdom. Okay, so yeah, it's, so it's not just people who don't murder other people. Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, people, there are not hateful people. He backs it up even further, you see. So in verses 21, 27, and 33 of this chapter, Jesus says, y'all have been taught this, but I'm here to expound on what the Old Testament was really getting at. And so notice, also as part of that, Jesus sets himself up as an authority. It's not insignificant that he steps to the, the scribes and the Pharisees and interprets the law of Moses and says, my interpretation is right and yours is wrong. That's not an insignificant thing. So The term Jesus used here for anger is a very intense term in the Greek. It's like super intense. The the same Greek word is used another time in Matthew's gospel for an anger that preceded destructive behavior, okay? So the the verb used here also, I'll note, is not the word for anger used whenever Jesus got angry, which he did. Okay, my man flipped some tables and stuff. Y'all know that story. So the verb used here in in these verses shows an enduring anger as well as a destructive rage, Enduring, destructive, so, so now we kind of see a fuller picture. So, you know, uh, so with all that, we need to differentiate the types of anger, right? So there's, so if Jesus got angry, and, but we shouldn't get angry, like let's differentiate a little bit there. So at its core, anger says this is wrong, right? What just happened is wrong. That's what anger says, right? So it is a fundamentally moral emotion. Something you love was treated unjustly. I want you to read into that statement. Something you love was treated unjustly. So it could be uh, we see an economic or racial injustice and we get angry about it. That's a good thing, okay? Or it could be that you love to watch football and somebody disrupts that love and you erupt in anger. Both anger 
One selfish, one righteous, right? So Paul urges us in Romans 12, 9 to hold fast to what is good and to abhor, to detest what's evil. So we stand against injustice, obviously, passionately so. It's right to say wrong things are wrong and to even get righteously angry about it. Such anger flows from love. So at its best, anger communicates protective love for what God loves. It's important. So at its worst, anger expresses self-interest and it issues an ultimatum. Obey my law, do what I'm commanding you to do or suffer my wrath, right? Anger's strong. It really offers this intoxicating experience of playing God, of being judge, jury, and executioner by ordering the world according to my whims and desires, okay? Um, So there's righteous anger and sinful anger, and of course there are shades in there, right? But but those two categories are clear. Um, So sinful anger is arrogant, it's conceited. Jesus even started his sermon with describing, you know, the first brick he laid in describing a Christian was humble. It all flowed from being poor in spirit. So what our flesh wants us to do is what Darth Vader told Luke to do with his anger, right? I, I thought about doing, I'm not gonna, he, you know, um, Jeffrey definitely knows. Uh, he told Luke to what? Give in to your anger. I was gonna say, I didn't do it. Okay, so just give in to your anger, man. Just, just scream, just hate, just tweet, just give in to it right? That's what the world tells us to do. Just emote. Just get it out there. That's what's going to heal you. But, it, but it is, that's not true. So if you're ever trying to decide, is, is this righteous anger or sinful anger? And that can be tough. I mean, it, it can look really similar. Jesus, I'm sure, whenever he was flipping tables, I'm sure that his breath quickened, that his face got redder, right? And so it doesn't look the same, but it, it can look similar. So a few questions, if you want to write these quickly, to, to diagnose or recognize your anger. Did this person break God's law or my law? (laughs) Did this person break my law that I wrote up in my mind in the universe? Did did he or she break God's law? Second, if what I'm angry about is made right, who is being protected? So if you get mad at the barista because your coffee is lukewarm and you let them have it and then they make it right, who's protected there? Right? Um, Amen. So if, if you're... Or, you know, you're angry with your spouse because they're snoring. Well, they didn't break God's law, okay? Um, I better move on. Third question, if what I'm angry about is made right, will that bring peace and restoration? Am I building God's kingdom with this anger or am I not? Am I bringing peace and restoration? (laughs) Amen. Fourth, two, three, fourth, I probably could have written this fourth one more clearly, but... Is my anger constructively or building, serving God's merciful and redemptive purposes? Is that what my anger is doing? Or is it destructively tearing down, serving my own agenda? So is, what's my anger doing here, okay? Anger is not content to stay still. It's not. If frustration is unripened anger, then anger naturally ferments into bitterness and depression and shame. You know, anger motivates a child to scream and hit another kid because they stole a toy, right? It, it encourages, anger encourages us to let them have it, to cut them down with our tongue, to really tell them off, right? If they've disrespected us, we're really gonna let them have it, right? Now, herein lies the deceptive aspect of anger. Those two uh, scenarios that I just mentioned, okay, the kid having his or, his or her toy stolen and the person disrespecting you, God's law was broken, 
right? You're in the greatest danger when you're right, okay? Because being right about someone else's sin so quickly blinds us to our own sin. Few things are harder than not crossing the line when you're able to say, that was wrong of her. They shouldn't have done that. Few things are more tempting in the world. So do the work of diagnosing and recognizing your anger. And diagnosing, I think of Joseph, man in the Bible, who was, he was Abraham's grandson, who was the father of the nation of Israel. Kind of a big deal, okay. So, you know, Joseph was always exceptional. Um, you know, he was naturally gifted as a leader. God spoke to him in dreams. He had it going on. He was that dude in Israel, okay. So, and that's a lot of fun. It's, it's cool to know the man. It's, it's cool to, to be around that kind of guy, unless you're one of his brothers. Not, that, not as much fun when your brother's the man, right? So a rivalry developed between Joseph and all of his brothers, and it started with their jealousy. Uh, but it was kind of like the way, you know, the Cowboys and, and Giants play today. It was kind of like the way that Dak is a rival with the Giants. Like he's won the past seven. Like they're rivals, you know what I'm saying? But at some point, it's less of a, so Joseph and his brother were rivals, but like Joseph was always top of his class. He was his dad's favorite. And so Genesis 37, four says, they hated Joseph. They hated Joseph because their father loved Joseph. Look at that word, especially. Maybe their father paid Joseph more attention. Maybe he always got to ride in the front seat or sit next to dad at dinner. Uh, we do know that uh, you know, his father gave him special gifts. My man had that multicolored coat that was evidently fabulous, okay? And all this just burned his brothers up, man. They could not stand it so much so that the rest of that verse says they could not even speak peacefully with their brother Joseph. They couldn't even talk to him, man. Every interaction was a conflict. Every family dinner uncomfortable with Joseph and his dad telling inside jokes and the brothers are just like so ticked and rolling their eyes the whole time. You ever had a family dinner like that? Okay. <laughs> the brothers get so fed up, they do a really terrible thing, okay? They sell their brother into slavery. They kill him without killing him, basically. If only they could have heard my sermon. I could have really helped them out that day. They could have done the work of recognizing their anger and really getting under why were they so mad at Joseph because it really had little to do with Joseph and so much to do with how their dad clearly loved their brother more than he loved them, which isn't right. Right? We can, that's not right. So they, the brothers were right, and then they did wrong. There's a pattern of the whole history of the world of this. And so it's amazing how many sinful things we do because of our unresolved anger. When we let our anger build up in our hearts, it has the very real potential of overtaking us. I've performed a lot of marriage counseling over the years for couples, and uh, the two most common things that are confessed to me in those meetings by men, so the two most common things confessed by men are lust and anger. And by women, the number one thing that's confessed is bitterness. It's very, very common. And so I'm here to warn you, that anger, that bitterness will overwhelm your joy. And you'll find yourself doing things you would have never done. And you know, for many of us, your unresolved anger is like that room in your house, when people come over that room in your house. Like everything looks great, all around the house and there's that one room that you just kind of shoved all the laundry into and shoved everything into. So everything looks perfect in the house but there's that one room that's really a mess. So a lot of our hearts can be that way with anger. Like, you know, really day to day we're kind of happy but then there's that one corner of our hearts that we just shove all this anger into and it comes out from time to time. Some of you might have a big moment or a turning point coming up but because of the unresolved anger in your heart, you'll choose vengeance over forgiveness. 
You'll choose retribution over relief. You know, I bet Joseph's brothers were pretty normal, pretty good guys before they sold their brother into slavery, pretty awful thing, before their jealousy set in. Uh, they came from a good family. They went to church. They, came, they went to the best schools. But all of a sudden, their anger was dictating their behavior because it controlled their hearts. So as we shift from diagnosing to engaging our anger, we shift from what to why. Engage your anger by the, with these types of questions. Why did I erupt in that situation? Why? Why did I do that? Why am I so upset that she's doing well? Why, why do, why, why do, she lives way over there and I'm, oh boy, why do I care so much that she's doing so well? This is a good one. What wrong am I perceiving? What wrong am I perceiving here? Fourth, is my frustration, irritation, and annoyance blossoming into anger? Was, are those seeds sprouting? And then lastly, is my anger fermenting into bitterness and hatred? You know, we, we sometimes find ourselves quickly go from noticing a wrong to unsheathing our swords, right? And so what's under that reaction? What's under there? Why, right? When you get mad, ask, what wrong am I perceiving here? And be honest with yourself. When you get mad, what wrong am I perceiving? Like, and it might be, my kids should not be having temper tantrums. Well, yeah, he's two. Yeah, he, yeah the, the two-year-old did the wrong thing. But asking what wrong am I perceiving, it may give you the opportunity to grow in patience. Or why did I get so mad at my spouse? What wrong am I perceiving? Now, maybe they did something that broke God's law, and okay. But, but what, what can I work on so that we can grow toward healing and forgiveness and, and reconciliation, right? So when you do the work of engaging your angry feelings, Man, do the work, right? Like write down your feelings, write down your thoughts, you know, write down all that stuff. Call a brother or sister in the church. Pray and process through your emotions with God. Turn to Psalm 3 really quickly, okay? It'll be on the screens too, but it'd be a good idea to mark this in your Bibles. I I read Psalm 3 probably more than any other uh, chapter in the Bible, okay? This is David praying on the worst night of his life. Okay, even before the text starts, It says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Absalom was his son. Absalom had risen a coup, I don't get to say that much, against his dad to to take his dad out so Absalom, his son, could then be the king. And so literally, David's scared for his life. He's hiding. And so David, praying to God in that situation, says, oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. So he's scared for his life. He thinks he's going to die. So he's scared. Man, he's fearful. He has enemies that that are multiplying all the time. And then his fears get much deeper. He says in verse two, many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him and God. David had always enjoyed being, you know, beloved by people. Then all of a sudden they're saying, God couldn't even save that guy. It's it's the worst stone that could be lobbed your way. It's like if my dad, who would never say this, me and my dad are very close. If my dad were to go, I knew you'd never amount to anything. Whatever the heaviest lob would be in your life. That's what his people are doing to him here. So he's scared for his, his body, and then he's scared for his soul, right? But then look at his prayer. But you, O oh Lord, oh yeah, you're a shield about me. You're my glory, not them. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. I cried aloud, and he answered me from his holy hill, because he always answers. I laid down and slept. On the worst night of his life, he got some sleep. Man, that's crazy. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. 
look at this part of the verse. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. He's praying that God would break some people's teeth. Now, that doesn't mean God's gonna do it, okay? But God is okay with that kind of prayer. God, I pray you'd break your teeth, okay? Because in that prayer, we find God, when you pray that at God's feet, God begins to heal. God begins to move in your own life. You can pray real prayers with God. Salvation belongs to the Lord, amen. Your blessing should be on your people. So that's the kind of thing that we pray when, we're, when we feel the anger in our hearts, when we sense the enemies around us. What did the devil do in Genesis to make Eve sin? Remember this? So first he isolated her and then he lied to her. That's what he does to us. And so the, the, he'll do it to you. He'll isolate you and then he'll lie to you. So get into a city group. A lot, lot harder to be isolated when you're around Christians all the time. You know, stay after today and really talk to people. Like hang out. We, get, sorry, we got the place till 1245. Okay, hang out with people, you know, and really get real with people. Don't let the devil isolate you. That's where he does his best work. And by the way, the devil has game film on you. Okay, that last time you got angry and messed up, he's got game film on that and he might run the same play. Okay, so diagnose, engage your angry feelings, talk about it with a friend, a brother or sister in Christ. So, so we've done that, diagnose, recognize, we've begun to engage our anger, see what's under there, then it's likely time to repent. Look back at Matthew 5, 43 to 46. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. Few phrases have changed the world more than Jesus' phrase right there. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and, for, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even tax collectors do that. So Jesus wants to, okay, free us from our anger and hate so effectively that you can love your enemies. That you can pray for people who persecute you. That's a level of freedom that I want for each of you. I really do. Jesus wants you to be released from that hatred, from that anger in your heart. You know, most of the people who come to our minds when we think of enemies did us wrong, but not all, okay? Uh, some of us thought of somebody you, I did wrong, um, you know, and some, that relationship is still broken maybe. Even back in verses 23 and 24, Jesus said to leave your gift at the altar and go reconcile, reconcile, but before you come and worship, you need to go and reconcile with your brother or sister first. You need to go make it right. And most of all, and I love you in saying this, this comes from a place of love. Most of us prefer remorse to repentance. We would rather say, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I just feel so bad, I feel awful about what happened, instead of actually doing the work to do, to do things differently. Chronic guilt is the price we pay if we avoid internal change. Jesus doesn't want you to live in guilt. He, he died to free you from it, but chronic guilt is the price we pay if we avoid this internal change. Repentance is the way forward, to turn from your sin and to go in Jesus' way. But again, okay, most of the people who pop into our minds in these verses have wronged us in the past. Uh, and Jesus wants to release you from feeling that anger or hatred or bitterness or whatever toward them. So the old saying is true. Uh, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other person. That really is what unforgiveness is like. So Rick and Kay Warren, some of my heroes, I love them. I appreciate them so much. I don't know them at all, okay, but I just, from afar, I really, now, although Pastor Rick did go to Southwestern Seminary here in Fort Worth, as all the great ones did, okay. Um, but I, I look up to them. They planted their church. Um, they've had a really effective ministry. So when their son, Matthew, 
was 27, he took his own life. Tragically, obviously, and an unspeakable tragedy. And Matthew, he struggled with mental health, and so he shouldn't have been able to buy a gun, but someone sold him one illegally, okay? And so Rick and Kay Warren were interviewed about their son's death on CNN, and Pastor Rick said, you know, one of the hard things was forgiving the person who sold him the gun. Because I didn't want to forgive him, he said. And then Miss Kay said this, I don't want to be tied to that person emotionally for the rest of my life. You see what she's doing there? Okay, by choosing to forgive that person who did their family unspeakably wrong, by choosing to forgive that person, she untethered herself from the anger and from the enemy. Do you see that? If you hold on to that anger, if you won't reconcile or forgive, that's a prison in your life. And I'll be honest this morning, okay, there's a guy who comes to mind here for me. And, you know, I wouldn't say he's my enemy, okay, but like he comes to mind when I read Jesus talking about enemies, you know what I'm saying, okay? And I've tried to reconcile. I've talked to a counselor about it a lot. Um, I've prayed through Psalm 3 over and over, and I've worked toward forgiving him. But here's, here's what I wanna say here. Sometimes forgiveness takes years, okay? It's work and work and work, letting Jesus till your heart over it for years and years. So sometimes you think you're over, being done wrong or you think you've forgiven that person even though they've never even acknowledged maybe that they did you wrong, that he's never apologized, he never will, okay? But then all of a sudden something happens. You see a tweet, you see something happen and the angry feelings come back, okay? Listen, that's okay. That's okay. Do the work to recognize the anger, engage the anger and, and the feelings and repent, there's always something we can repent of. So Lionel Richie says, yeah, that Lionel. Uh, if you try, if you try and go and, and scream at your past, you'll trip over the future, okay? So I think he's right about that. Jesus wants us to forgive our enemies, yes, for their benefit, but really for ours. You know, one thing I wanna make clear. The Bible does not teach forgive and forget, Okay, uh, that's a common misconception. So if someone has done you wrong, they've broken your trust, Jesus is not asking you to trust them, but to forgive them. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. 